Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Welcome to the NASCAR NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today we have an all-phoner edition of the podcast. I talked to two IndyCar drivers last week ahead of this weekend's visit by the IndyCar series to Barber Motorsports Park. The first conversation you'll hear is with Ryan hunter Ray of Andretti Autosport, who tells us what has caught his eye through two races of the 2019 season. He reviews his team's performance. And Ryan looks ahead to Barber and the Indianapolis 500. And then we'll hear from Colton Herta of Harding Steinbrenner Racing. I spoke with Colton three days after he became the youngest winner in IndyCar history with his March 24th victory at Circuit of the Americas in Austin. And it was also three days before Colton Herta's 19th birthday. So Colton told us some stories about his victory tacos tradition, how surreal it is for him to be a winning IndyCar driver after growing up around the paddock as the son of former IndyCar driver Brian Herta, and how Colton likes his chances for becoming the youngest Indianapolis 500 winner in history. With all that said, we'll get right to it. With one more note, you might have noticed I do my best to always tape the NASCAR and NBC podcast in person because those are just generally better conversations and cell phone connections can be slightly unreliable. So the sound quality on these two phoners is mostly good. However, the second one isn't quite as ideal as I would have liked, but I did my best. Sometimes circumstances dictate using long-distance technology, as we did in this instance. So, with all that now being said, a big thank you to Pat Caporale at IndyCar for making these conversations happen. And without further ado, here's my conversation with Ryan Hunter-Ray. Hey, Nate. Ryan Hunter-Ray. How are you, man? Good. How you doing, Ryan? Yeah, good. You're two races in, assessing the IndyCar season so far. New track new winner this past week at Austin. I know St. Petersburg also had some interesting storylines. What has caught your eye so far 2019 in IndyCar? I think the rookies, for sure. Uh, it's a very strong rookie class, no doubt about it. You know, We saw how, how well Felix Rosenquist did at St. Pete. Uh, obviously, to continue to show his pace at, at Coda, but um, Colton was also very fast at St. Pete and really brought it to the front at Circuit of the Americas. So, I mean, we had, we've had some great rookies last year. You know, Wicken started off with a pole, should have probably won that first race last year, um, showed how talented he was all the way through the year. And then now this year, we've got another crop of rookies coming in. So making everybody's life difficult, no doubt about it, but it's good for the sport. Things are heading in the right direction for many reasons. Yeah, when people talk about, oh, it's never been more competitive, and we kind of hear that year after year after year. In this case, it really is true when you have a Rosenquist who showed at St. Pete that he could win, and obviously you have heard a win at Austin. And I know you've got other guys out there like 
Erickson and some others, I mean, that truly is the essence of it this year, right? You just have that much talent more so this year in the series. No doubt about it. I mean, the series is already ridiculously uh, competitive uh, prior to the beginning of the 2019 season, but now we've we've mixed in even more talent. Patricia Ward, certainly, every time he's sat in IndyCar, he's been super fast. I know the kid's super talented, so he's going to be a, he's going to be a threat, no doubt. It's making for tough work for everybody, but that's the way we want it. You know, you want to go out there and beat the best, and there's really not a weak spot on the grid. With that in mind, assessing your season so far, I know you had the disappointment of the engine failure at St. Pete, but you rebounded pretty well with a third at Austin. Do you feel like, you know, aside from the opener being a mechanical you can't really control, or do you feel like you're on track? Uh, yeah, obviously it's it's tough to always to open up the season with, with a big goose egg like that. You feel like you're climbing out of that hole for quite a while, which we will be. But Coda was decent points, you know, third. I, I wasn't overly thrilled with our performance over the weekend. We qualified third, finished third. But, you know, I think we had a fifth-place car, and it just wasn't really, um, there was nothing, you know, very overwhelming. It was just kind of solid, and that's what we came away with. And I guess sometimes, you know, if, if the down days are, are solid days and you get a third place, banking the points is a good thing. Where do you feel like Andretti Autosport can make the gains at this point? Always have to be good week in and week out. And, you know, in this series, you cannot have a weak spot. You can't be, you can't be weak on short ovals. You can't, you know, miss pace on, on road courses. It's, it's everything. Super speedway, short oval, road course, street course. So, you know, we need to be very strong week in and week out. Hopefully we can get that momentum rolling at Barber. Road courses have historically been pretty good for us. Um, last year, I think our average finishing position on road courses was third or fourth, so definitely had a good run of races there last year. Hopefully, we can roll that into uh, 2019, but um, we'll see. That's the thing. I you know, I, I really can't count on the fact that we were good there last year because that's how tough the series is. You come back and, and you're struggling to get in the top 10, and you're, you're wondering, well, where to go? Where do we go miss? Well, it's just that competitive. There's that many good teams and drivers. You have two wins at Barber, but eventual wisdom last year was that Penske was really strong on ovals, but maybe just a little bit behind on the street and road courses. And this year, obviously, New Garden wins at St. Pete, and Will Power was fairly dominant until he had the problem at Austin. There's signs that the competition is stiffer and that, you know, where Penske was maybe trailing the Hondas of Andretti and Ganassi last year, it seemed like it's more even. I know it's only two races, but... No, I think you're right. And Penske's definitely filled in that void a little bit. Like at St. Pete, for instance, I mean, Joseph was flying, so there was no way around that, and that, that wasn't necessarily their strong suit from 2018, so... I expect they'll be uh, they'll be strong as they as they usually are every every weekend on every different type of racetrack. When you talk about Ryan that you're in that hole from St. Pete and you don't know how long that's going to take to dig out of it, do you try to set a marker for you and the team of hey, this is maybe where we need to be coming out of Indianapolis or heading into the summer stretch? Uh, is there any way to kind of quantify you know where you want to start looking at for as you look down the road to trying to win a championship? Well, Will and I both have a mechanical in the first races here so um it'd be nice if you know dixon brossy Newgarden, if those guys would you know sit out a race that way we can all be on <laughs> level footing um but I, I think going in i think you know going into indy we need to be in the top five in points and top maybe top three in points you know if we go out and have a good weekend every you know at, at barber long beach indy gp if, if we could do that I think uh, we'll we'll be top four in points, top five in points. So that's what we need to do. 
Looking at the performance of Colton Herta at Austin, I think I saw that you were among the first to really say this kid is for real coming out of the gates at Coda at preseason testing, where I guess he led three of the, the four sessions. What about, I mean, beyond just the speed, <laughs> and I know that you probably had an awareness of him that, that others didn't, given your connection with Andretti and everything like that, but what about him impressed you right away and said, hey, this is maybe a guy who could win as an 18-year-old in his first year? I just his pace, you know, his approach. He's pretty quiet, just gets down and gets on with it, you know. I mean, he puts his head down and gets on with it. He's just, he's no BS, straightforward. I can see that he's there to get the job done. I'm not surprised that he's been up front like this, and uh, it seems to be he's up front everywhere we go testing, so should be a good year for him. Do you look at him as being a championship factor, or, or do you look at the fact that that team is relatively new and that, you know, might be a limiting factor? You know, people would say, uh, you know, you know, he's fast, but the team's going to be a limiting factor potentially because they're, you know, it's a new group together, and, you know, they're not going to be able to do the whole maybe three stops, keep keep up at the front, but they're doing a great job. They're exceeding everyone's expectations, and I would not be surprised if Colton's in the mix towards uh, last quarter of the season when it comes to the championship hunt. As you look forward here, Ron, you, you know, as you mentioned, you can't really go off history for Barber, but you do have two wins there. I know, you know, Long Beach being a street course and you being strong everywhere, that that is a place you're probably looking forward to as well. How do you look at the outlook for the next couple of weeks? Yeah, there, there are opportunities we need to um, take full advantage of. I mean, we, we've been strong at both those tracks, like you mentioned. Um, last year, I think we finished second at Barber. Long Beach was a huge missed opportunity for us. Um, they had a fast race car and they just kind of deteriorated from qualifying on into the race. So, like I said, there's no reason we shouldn't be on the pace there. We we should be quick. So, if that is the case, we, we need to capitalize. That's the key. It's just you have to capitalize when you have a good balance, good grip, good race car. You need to make those those weekends really count. I'm curious, Ryan, just to get your opinion on this. As someone who primarily covers NASCAR, and I was at St. Pete, and I'm planning to be at Long Beach. I was at Indy last year. I'm kind of getting a sense for like how the stewards approach officiating in IndyCar versus some other series I've covered. And it's interesting to me like how they review the on-track actions, and they seem to be into deterring people from making moves before calamity strikes. How do you view how the stewards officiate races in IndyCar? Do you like that they're proactive or could they be more proactive? How do you view how they evaluate it? I think they've done a good job. I mean, the best outcome is when race control does not have to intervene, right? You want drivers to be able to race. I remember there was a certain time in IndyCar when there was too much intervention going on from race control. They were getting into the race results too much and drivers would then almost paranoid to do certain things or to put their car in a certain spot. I think it's it's going in the right direction now where it's, uh, there is less intervention and there's less uh, of a presence from race control, but they do have to set their limits and they have to you know, you have to know that they're gonna they're gonna enforce them. If it's an empty threat from race control that hey, we're gonna penalize you if you do such and such, and they don't do it, you get away with it. Well, then uh, the system's broken. So, um, I think they I think they do a good job on it for the most part. With NBC having Indianapolis, I mean, we're very enthused having that broadcast and close by just getting your thoughts on Indy. I guess it's probably difficult because when you guys don't visit Noble ahead of going there until May, is there any real way for you? to get a barometer on how you feel like you're going to run until you actually get on track there? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> we call those first few runs, the first few runs in Indianapolis, when you finally get the car on track and you do your baseline run, that is the most stressful time of the whole year for us because we know on that first run, it goes really well, it comes easy, the speed comes easy, it's going to be a good month because we have a fast race car. And then I've been there on other times where, oh no, you know, for the same amount of 
draft, we're a mile an hour and a half off or two miles an hour off. It's going to be a long month and it's going to be a stressful one. So there's just so many components that go put these cars together. And, and when you get them up to 230 miles an hour, the, the drag, you know, characteristics of mechanical drag, aerodynamic drag, there's so much that can interfere and camper a race car like that. So every year we do everything we can. The team does a great job preparation-wise, but they are all different race cars and there's thousands, thousands of parts that go into them. So you never know what you're going to get until that first run, which is the most stressful of the year. That's crazy. So it doesn't matter how much simulation you can do or how precise it can be until you're in the real world. No. That's when you find out. That's the worst. Yeah. I, I don't sleep the night before. I'm not. <laughs> Sounds great. Speaking of that, I was looking at your Indy 500 record. You know, since the win, I know the finishes haven't been there since the 2014 victory, but it seems like you've led some laps. Has it just sort of been circumstantial that you haven't gotten the finishes that you've wanted since 2014? Uh, yeah, I mean, 16, we definitely should have won. We, if you ask anybody in the paddock, we had the fastest race car out there and we were leading the most laps and then, uh, you know, got into an incident where a teammate took us out on pit lane. But it's unfortunate. 16 really, really hurt. Uh, 17, we were also fast. Last year, 18, we weren't that great. Um, you know, we just couldn't get the balance right in the, in the race, kind of fifth place par, and I think that's where we finished, somewhere in there at fourth or something like that. So, But yeah, 14 was a good one. Um, obviously, 13, I felt like I could have won that too. I was leading the field coming to the restart on, in 13 and got on passes. I knew I was going to have another shot at it because of the huge draft, and boom, the race goes yeah. yellow, and checkered comes out, and never had a shot. So, yeah, been been close too many times. Definitely need another one. Well, much luck to you uh, this year. I hope you get to sleep after that first time you're on track in May. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate your time. Thanks for calling. All right, Nate. Take it easy. Our thanks again to Ryan Hunter Ray. As noted, a tough start to the season for RHR with a rare engine failure at St. Petersburg, where he was 23rd. But he started and finished third at Coda in Austin. And now he heads to Barber Motorsports Park, where he is a two time winner in nine starts. Hunter Ray always strong on street and road courses, and really at any kind of track. He is one of the steadiest veterans in the NTT IndyCar series. On the other end of the spectrum, let's talk to the hottest rookie on the circuit. Here's my conversation with Colton Herta. We're talking three days ahead of your 19th birthday, I believe. Yeah. How much better will the birthday celebration be when it comes less than a week after your first IndyCar victory? Uh, that was probably the best birthday present I could have asked for. <laughs> Any big plans in the wake of that, or is it just going to be the normal low-key type birthday party uh, for a 19-year-old? Actually, um... No one's actually going to even be home on my birthday. My uh, my little brother's got a uh, a baseball tournament, so I'm, they're not even going to be home when I come home. I'm in uh, Atlanta right now, flying to New York for tomorrow, and then going home, and, and no one's going to be home for my birthday. So <laughs> I'll get to see him uh, maybe the day after. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Presume they'll have a little bit more to uh, to celebrate you with this year with the big win. I was looking through your post race comments, Colton, and it seemed like it hadn't really sunk in understandably, uh, you know, within an hour after uh, the win Sunday at Austin, you know, here we are talking uh, a few days later. Has it, has it started to sink in now? Uh, a little bit, you know. It's, uh, it, it's kind of hard to, uh, to take it in and, and understand what just happened. But uh, it was extremely cool. I didn't want the, uh, I didn't want the day to end. It was uh, so special. I've been told that I should ask you about how the victory tacos started. Can you tell me yeah, more yeah. about that? I don't know how everyone's figuring this out, but, uh, yeah, so basically, did you tell me about the victory tacos? Uh, 
it's basically a uh, a tradition that started when I was eight or nine. It was it was after I would win a go kart race. Uh, being from Southern California, Los Angeles area, we would go get go get tacos, and uh, obviously it's pretty easy to uh, get tacos in Los Angeles. So uh, yeah, that was kind of like a thing that, that me and my dad did. Where did you go for the tacos Sunday? Um, I went to this place called Austin Taco Project. I was actually still in Austin that night, so uh, I went there. Gotcha. Does it measure up to California, Southern California tacos? No, nothing, nothing quite like uh, <laughs> a taco from my local town taco truck. That, that's probably the best. <laughs> okay, right on. Colton, I've heard many drivers say after their first win that they, you know, they can't imagine ever getting there, that, you know, lifelong dream. They can't yeah. really wrap their he- heads around, like, actually winning on a national stage. Y- you literally mm-hmm. grew up around this. I mean, your your dad still was racing full-time in IndyCar, I think, when you were six years old, and I yeah. presume you might have some first-hand memories of what one of his wins might have been like. What's it like, you know, having IndyCar be so much a part of your life already, but now to be at the center of it in a completely new way? Yeah, it's crazy. Obviously, two of my dad's wins were before I was born. And then I remember 2004, he won in Chicagoland. And I remember that win, actually, still to this day. I can't believe I still remember it, but I remember the uh, victory lane, but it was quite, I know it was Michigan. It wasn't Chicagoland, Michigan. But, yeah, um, it's completely different now because then I felt, important just to be in victory lane, being, you know, kind of like a stark four-year-old with all these cameras on me. But, uh, but no, it's completely different because I, I definitely earned it. And, uh, you know, to be part of a huge group effort like it was, was uh, pretty special. How often did you go to the track when you were a child and your dad was still racing? Were you there every week? Quite a lot, yeah. Um, maybe not every single weekend, but I definitely went to, I'd say, like 80% of them. So transitioning into being a full-time IndyCar driver and, and now a first-time winner, I mean, is it more normal for you because you've been around the paddock since you were born, basically? Um, I, I guess a little bit. It's definitely a different role now from, from when I used to just go and uh, torment all the mechanics and stuff at Andretti when my dad was driving there. But, yeah, it, it, it kind of uh, it's, it's cool to see, too, because, uh, you know, a lot of the guys that, that worked with my dad over the years actually worked with me not only this year, but previous years. So it's, it's cool to uh, to be working with the same guys that, that my dad got to work with. And obviously you had your dad there uh, in Austin for the win. How is your dad involved with your racing, Colton? Is he hands-on or is he more behind the scenes? Um, Not now. He doesn't really help me with racing side of things at all. It's more... Uh, career management and, and contracts and sponsorship and stuff like that that helps me with um, stuff that I still have a lot to learn. Was there a point at which he was more involved in the racing side? And if so, like when did he sort of definitely, transition? Yeah, definitely, definitely when I was younger. Probably up until around 12 or 13 when I uh, moved to, uh, to England. And obviously I, I moved over there on my own when I was 14. So once I moved there, he's kind of let me do my own thing. Kind of let you go. Yeah. I primarily cover NASCAR, so I sort of see the way Chase Elliott, his dad Bill, interact. And uh, you know, Bill is very much behind the scenes and sort of off the radar. But oh. Chase Elliott does talk about sometimes he gets tips from Bill because he's raced at those same tracks. And I would presume uh-huh. your dad Brian heard it has a similar relationship. So do, do you guys ever talk racing? I mean, does he ever offer any tips, or do you ever ask him about maybe an upcoming race or track you're going to? Or yeah, 
Um, I think the biggest thing I ask them right now is there's so much stuff you can pick up on part. I probably ask them now more about what stuff does on the enterprise and change it than anything else. Uh, that's probably the biggest topic of what we talk about in racing. And then just general chit chat about about different things, racing news and stuff like that. You've been pretty much since the test at uh, Austin in the preseason, Colton. You've been spoken of really highly. I was I covered St. Pete and I was in an interview with Roger Penske in which he name checked you a, a few times as, as being extremely fast. And you know I've heard Ryan Hunter Ray and others coming out of that preseason test singing your praises. Uh, I was wondering, do you block that out? Or have you heard any of it? And if you do hear it, like how do you handle it? You know, what's your reaction to hearing people talk about you that way? It's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I don't really block it out, but it, it's just cool to hear about, like, guys uh, saying stuff like that, the, like guys that I look up to, or it's even guys, you know, like, like Roger, that, that's extremely cool. Yeah, it's cool to take a notice as well. I saw comments from one of your team's co-owners, Mike Harding, after Austin. He said that, you know, this wasn't something that you guys expected in race number two, yeah. and I covered the Toronto race last year, and I was talking to Brian Barnhart, and I remember he was talking about, you know, kind of what a slog it had been, just getting up to speed, much less run competitively. So I guess the question now, Colton, would be, like, how far do you feel like the team can go after this win, given that it's still so relatively new, and I would presume it's sort of a deficit to the, the bigger teams? Um, from what we've seen so far, I think we can beat, like, competitive, you know, every everywhere we've gone so far, so it's only been two places. St. Pete, we, we were up into third and qualifying and into the fast six, and then I got a penalty for block, and unfortunately, that kind of knocked me out, but made it into the fast six to get Dakota, and yeah, we got an eighth-place finish of, uh, after being shuffled all the way back to 18th, and then uh, obviously the win at Dakota uh, was uh, pretty special. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, we, we seem to have really good pace, so um, Barber is a bit of an unknown just because it's so different to all the other tracks that we go to, and mm-hmm. I haven't passed six in against Barber. So it, it's, that's going to be, uh, this, this weekend will be a tough, you know, tough tracks like this place in Ohio. Those, those are going to be places where I think, um, just driving wise, I'm going to struggle just because I haven't had a lot of track time in such a difficult technical place. Are you more comfortable on street and road courses than ovals at this point in your career? For sure, yeah. I've done a lot more of those than I have ovals, obviously. But going to Europe, it was really good for, for my road course racing and learning to drive the car in that sense, but I lost out on a lot of oval times that a lot of other guys got. Obviously, then you're going in far with guys who've been running ovals for 20 years and stuff. So, uh, yeah, obviously that's going to be uh, a big learning curve, but I definitely feel more comfortable, and I feel like I know what I'm doing a lot more than uh, on the run street courses than I do at all. Does the win change things at all, Colton, from the perspective of, I, mean, I know momentum is sort of a vague thing, but and I know that, you know, on ovals, I, w- I would think the car is probably a bigger factor, and there you're you're running against teams that have more money and more cars, you know, like yeah. Massey or Andretti or Penske. But d- does winning lift the team up in any sort of way and make you recalibrate your expectations and think, not that you're going to run for the championship, but you that you could be more yeah. of a contender? Yeah, um, I think it definitely gives the, the team some more morale because, you know, it was it was a tough off season, and, and we just got the car ready for Coda winter testing, and then we got it to St. Pete, and then you know it, it boosted everybody's confidence. And this doesn't really change the expectations. I think we kind of have an expectation of if we can finish top ten everywhere we go, that'd be pretty 
pretty damn solid for a racing campaign. I saw that George Steinbrenner the fourth, one of your other co-owners of the car there, was asked uh, at Coda after your win, you know, what would be next, and he said, obviously, you know, becoming, I guess, the youngest winner at the Indianapolis 500, yeah. having a you know not much overall experience and having not run any ovals mm-hmm. before you get there, there's no way really to know until you get there in May how things are going to unfold. But how do you feel looking toward the biggest race of the year for IndyCar? Um, I think the biggest thing is that we get a lot of practice time. That's going to help a bunch. Um, honestly, can't say how competitive we will be. It could be really, really quick. We also could be kind of rapid. I, I really have no clue. Um, I've driven the Indy Lights car around there, but that, that thing is super easy, flat. Um, it, it's a pack race there, so uh, it's definitely different than the Indy car. So there's obviously a lot for me to learn about myself. Uh, we have a good group of guys. We have Sponsor Junior, uh, the driver coach, and, and he's obviously with no such car. So he's going to be a, a huge help and a huge tool that I'm going to be, uh, be gone to. Sure, yeah, little Al knows a little bit, I think, about winning at Indy, I suppose, right? Oh, yes. Well, uh, hey, I appreciate you giving me a call on what I'm sure is a busy Wednesday for you. And thanks again. Congratulations on the win, and uh, good luck this season. Thank you. Have a good day. Thanks again to Colton Herta for sparing some time for the podcast during a whirlwind week. That's usually how it goes for a first-time winner in the IndyCar series or any auto racing series. Colton Herta also made a stop by NASCAR America's Motorsports Hour, and he certainly was in demand after his victory at COTA as he should be and probably will be in years to come. Much to come in the weeks ahead on the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I've got several conversations already in the can, so I don't feel as if I'm jinxing these to tip my hand a little. Among the upcoming guests on the NASCAR and NBC podcast, we'll have a sit-down with Daniel Hemrick in a special place for the Richard Childress Racing Driver, conversations with IMSA legend Hurley Haywood, and IndyCar veteran Sebastian Bourdais, who will be returning to one of his greatest tracks, the Long Beach Grand Prix, and a narrative-style podcast of a trip I took with Denny Hamlin last week to FedEx headquarters in Memphis, Tennessee. Stay tuned for that. Should be good. The NASCAR NBC podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcasts. Please leave a rating or review if you like what you're hearing. That really helps us spread the word, and I appreciate everyone's kind words on the Jerry Freeze and Jeff Burton episodes. As always, if you have any feedback for me, you can send to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC Podcast. Want to make mom's day? Get to your Nordstrom Rack now and score amazing deals for Mother's Day, which is Sunday, May 12th. Find tons of gifts from only $30 at Nordstrom Rack. Fragrance, jewelry, luxury bags, activewear, beauty, and more. Save on Kate Spade, New York, Stuart Weitzman, and Ted Baker, London. Great brands, great prices. So shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and treat mom to the good stuff from just $30. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.